And tonight we're going to make a lot of progress through some pages of your book. And yes, that's plural pages. It really is going to happen. As we look further into the church, we introduced it last week. And that, uh, and you can tell that we have lots of pages. We're going to go all the way to page, what, 30, 31, 30 with it. So this is our next to last uh, category of essentials that we're studying. So we're really coming close to the end of this study. For Sunday nights. Uh, so we are here talking about the church. We talked last week about the definition of the church and the church's purpose. We're down on Roman numeral number three, the local church's provision. We're going to talk about that and really we're going to go through some of this pretty quickly till we get down to um, some membership, I think, unless you have a lot of questions or uh, things you want to ad see addressed. Uh, let's talk about the provision for the church. How, what, what do we depend upon? What do we rely upon? How did we come into being? Things like that. Uh, and you might say, well, this is all fundamental, but um, it is under attack. You can't believe how much this is under attack. Uh, a lot of people think, or some people are teaching out there, I shouldn't say a lot. Some people are teaching out there the church is irrelevant, the church is a dinosaur thing of the past. And we're going to look at one particular <clears throat> doctrine that uh, they base that on. And um, some do it from eschatological point of view, that is from the end times, that, that we're into an age of apostasy where all the churches are apostate and you shouldn't be involved in any church. Uh, that was popularized by a guy named Camping um, on his radio program and uh, Harold Camping, uh, who has since uh, passed on to his eternal state, whatever that might be. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, I'm... Uh, I'm not going to be the one to determine that, thankfully. Uh, but let's go ahead and look at the local church, because we believe in the local church. Not just because I'm a pastor, um, but we should believe in it because of the biblical position that God says that, though the, that it will prevail. Um, it, it, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And so um, we have a mandate, if you will, to continue until Christ's coming. That that is what closes out the church age. Not any state of apostasy. Not if 99% if of the church is going to error um, and sin. Uh, we have a directive yet upon us to endure to the end. Not just for the believer, but for the church. So let's look at this provision uh, we find letter A is Jesus Christ is ultimately our provider. He provides for our salvation, gives us the new covenant, and is the church's chief shepherd. And that is very important the, in terms of the local church. Uh, being the chief shepherd uh, talks about that there's going to be under shepherds. We're going to use that term here. We get into the organization of the church. But he is, so if you're going to attack the church, you're really attacking Jesus Christ because he's the chief shepherd. So if you're saying that the church has failed and therefore should be abandoned as an institution, then you're really putting that on, if you're going to pass the buck on up, to Jesus Christ himself. Because he is the chief shepherd. And so at some point he has that responsibility. So he is the one that guides, provides, directs, ultimately, for the true church. We're going to talk about that then letter B, the Holy Spirit. Again, see our previous studies. He is the power behind the church. He, is, he gives us gifts for service. Again, in the context of a local church is how you use your gifts. They're not for your private enjoyment or edification. They're for the people of God, for the benefit of the body. And, uh, God pro and he provides the people, too. And, and the Holy Spirit is a great provider for the church uh, to enable us to minister and then letter C is the people. And this is where the doctrinal idea of us not needing the church is based on. So let's address it. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Now turn your Bibles there to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, 19 and following. It says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, 
And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope with, without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We want to use that text to counterbalance their arguments. Their argument essentially is that if we are all priests before God, therefore um, we have direct access. What priesthood means is that you have direct access to God. A priest is a mediator. It is someone who is a go-between. And Jesus Christ becomes our high priest. And as such, then they say, well, if I'm a priest, Jesus Christ is the high priest, and that's the, I don't need any other mediator between me and God. Therefore, I don't need the church. Because the church doesn't stand between you and Jesus Christ. It's not individual members and then this hierarchy of deacons or pastors, bishops, cardinals, popes, and, and there is isn't that hierarchy. So because of the abuse of the Roman church and others like them, uh, they want to cast off all of it and say, well, I am a priest um, before God. I have direct access through Jesus Christ to God. I have the scriptures right here before me, and I have responsibility over myself and therefore, uh, what do I need the church for? The Holy Spirit resides in me, so I'm Holy Spirit filled. I have access to heaven, so what do I need the church for? And they build this whole argument based upon the priesthood of the believers, which we strongly believe in. The problem is, is they come to passages like this, and there is no way you can fit that into you, into this passage. Do you see in this passage anywhere where you are a little Christian island that can just function by itself, autonomously? Is it in the passage anywhere? Okay, this one passage starts off with Jesus Christ as our high priest, but he is our high priest, plural. Look at every first person use of pronouns there. You'll find them all to be plural. We, us. Over and over again, it is our and so when we look through that, we see that it is obvious that we are called to do this together. And in verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And then, of course, the one we've focused on in the past, not for saying the assembling yourselves together, we're going to handle that in a little bit. And so we don't want to take this priesthood of the believer, and a lot of people have done this, and they are even more so doing it today. Well, I can get go downstairs, I can go upstairs, I can sit in my den, I can access the teachers I want to hear on my computer, and I can get all the feeding, and I can sing, I can do it all. I don't need this assembly. And that is what is under direct attack. And the reason the attack has been so successful in the last 11 months, 10 months, is because we already have largely abandoned the concept the assembly is essential to the Christian walk. And we have compromised that already, so when the state comes in, or even before the state came in, churches were shutting their doors before the state came in, when any hysteria comes in, we close it down. And what has been the, even before that, let's go way back before that, for the last 20 years, what has been the movement, church ecclesiastical movement in our country to have more assembly or less assembly together? How many churches have more than two meetings a week for the individual? Almost none. Sunday school is pretty much gone in a lot of churches. The evening service is gone in many, many churches. It's just gone. Midweek, sometimes they'll have like a midweek study, uh, small group meetings, but it's gone. You come for one service a week. We have mega churches. They say, well, we have five services on Sunday. Yeah, but they're the same service five times for five different groups to assemble. That's not the same. We are called to work together, to be a 
called out assembly. That's what church means. So if you abandon assembly, you're abandoning the very meaning of the word church. So you are saying, I don't need that. And this has come down to private religion. We have, so we've had that movement over these decades away from meeting. We meet less and less and less and less, and it would be easy for me to do that. It would be easy for me to sit there in Sunday school and say, well, only half our church comes to Sunday school or less sometimes, so why do we even have it? So let's just drop that. It's just too much of a burden on people. And, and even less than that, come to our evening service. Let's just drop it. And if you don't think I have had those thoughts, um, you should have more conversations with me. Because those cross my mind too. Why do we do this? If it's not going to be valued by the church membership to participate in it, why go through all the work of preparation, preaching, all that's involved in this process? Why? And so I've, I've confronted those things over the course of my ministry. And it's like, well, was this worth it? Um, and is it worth it when, when we don't show any inclination that this is a high priority in my life? Everything else. And by the way, this is nothing new. This is not just from the COVID. Um, this has been the whole history of my ministry. Not just in this church, but in every church. It's like when I encounter families and every single thing in the world takes priority over going to church. Everything. School function, higher priority. Uh, sports function, higher priority. Band, higher priority. Um, family function, higher priority. Visitors, higher priority. Everything is a higher priority than going to church. Okay? And so when we couple that with a doctrine that says you're a priest and therefore you can do it on your own, you don't need to be in an assembly with believers and held, be held accountable with, by, with them and minister to them. Remember, you're, we talked about that last week a lot, you're responsible to do your part of the body of Christ. It's really hard to do that when you're not here, okay, when you don't show up. And so we see people just say, well, we'll just trim this off, trim this off, trim that off. And you might say, well, I don't get that much from that. And I've had people come to me and say that. Well, I'm not getting that much out of this. I just want to come here. Is that okay? And I say, no, it's not okay. It's not okay. You'll never hear me tell you, it's okay, you skip this and come to this um, just because you don't like what you're hearing or you're bored or, you're, or you don't think it's benefiting you. Well, shame on you. That's just selfish. You're not here to benefit yourself. You're here to serve God by serving one another. And one of the greatest acts of service you can give is sometimes just to be here. You know what it's like being a Sunday school teacher without a class? How many of you have ever had that experience? I have. It's discouraging. Just by your absence, you discourage. When your purpose is to encourage and minister one. Do you see it here in Ephesians? Consider one another to stir up love and good works. How do you stir up people to minister in the church? To come and allow yourself to be the one ministered to. That's how you do it. How do you stir up good Sunday school teachers? You pray for them. You come participate. You come prepared. You come involved. You encourage them to become better teachers. You want to discourage teachers? Give them an empty class week after week after week, and they'll start coming later. They'll start coming unprepared. They'll drop out. I've seen it over and over again. You have responsibility. Just being here is ministry. It is fulfilling this concept. So the idea that somehow I am this priest and therefore I and I have the Holy Spirit and I have the Bible and I have direct access to God and now I can dismiss everything else is is pure rubbish. Those truths do not move you away from church. Those truths bring you to church. Because this is where you put that access to work. This is where you put that Holy Spirit presence to work. This is where you minister it. 
Not in your bed, in your jammies, with your computer. It's just not comparable. And I know you can go and find the greatest teachers in the world, and you can, they're big names, and you can sit there and you can marvel at their teaching, but at the end of it, what have you accomplished for the kingdom of God? That is pure selfish indulgence. Spiritually, yes, it's spiritual, but it's selfish indulgence. I'm getting, I'm getting. What did you give? And then we send off our, our check to them, to this ministry, because they ministered to them, and now you have an assembly of local that are diminished by it, by that same amount. And you have these great speakers who, with international ministries, completely unaccountable, that are flying around in jets and living in mansions and driving limos, um, based upon people sending them, ten, uh, millions of people sending them $10 at a time. God calls us something different. And so this idea that we are an entire body of priests doesn't move us away from the church. It drives us into the church. And when I see priorities shifting, and I see this diminished valuing of it. And oh, that we would have David's perspective. I was thrilled when it was time to go up to the house of the Lord. I couldn't wait. I was glad when they said, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Every opportunity, I want to be there. Um, and, and there's going to be benefit for you because you're going to be ministered to, but you're there to minister. What are you adding? And so, and, and to be able to go out and to say, this is a priority for our families, a priority for my life. Now, I grew up in a family where that was a priority for many years. In my youth, it was a priority. Every time the church doors opened, we were there. But I saw something happen in my teens. And, I, and it started with my dad. My dad wouldn't go to Sunday night service. We would all go. He stayed home. And then began to impact it, and we saw less and less and less commitment within my family to it. And I was appalled, confused at first, you know, why, and, and you know, the, ex the excuse, oh, I have a headache every Sunday. It's like, why every Sunday afternoon do you get a headache? Okay, some point, take some Tylenol and go. You don't miss work because of that. And, but we saw that diminished interest, and then it became self-centered. Everything was self-centered. And, and to see that decline, and it really, I believe it really set him up for what came down the road where now you could have spirituality that he claimed that by his weird things like his diet and things back to eating group. And now he could claim spirituality here disassociated from church. And it became kind of a, a prideful thing. And oh, that we would understand that there's no place for this, that we are communicating something, and, and if we're truly a thankful people we, and we understand the church, we are going to be here. So I spent a lot more time on that than I thought I would. So we come to, let's turn the page. Let's go to the structure of the church. And this is one of the complaints I have heard in the past, so it's addressed here. Um, Oh, the church is too organized, and it should just be an organic thing that just kind of ebbs and flows here and there, uh, and that's how church should be done. It shouldn't be so organized, and, and we shouldn't have formal services, and we shouldn't have programs and things like that. And that was an argument came out of the 70s and 80s extensively out of a lot of our seminaries and colleges, and we had the, and that was when I was in school. And so I was the, we, we, we became, became fractured, and we still see that fracture happening today because I'm still preaching, which means all those guys are still preaching, right? <laughs> so we're still the result of that. And again, this is the deterioration of it. And so we want to abandon structure and think that we are more, more godly if we have this... Um, just do your own thing. We have people over here doing something, people over there doing something, just whatever. And 
that is the charismatic movement has a lot of that in it. And we see that going on. And we say, well, that's very attractive because then it's just, it's, it's natural. That's the term used. It's natural. And so it's now spirit-led. That somehow if you have organization, if you have an organized service, an order of service, that that's not spirit-led. And I've actually had people tell me that. You don't have a spirit-led church because you have it all planned out. That you don't believe the spirit can lead you to plan? <laughs> you know, seriously? Uh, well, let's look at how organized the church is. Uh, every term... Every analogy, it says, for the church in the Bible is a very organized thing. A body. Is your body organized? Very. Very. If it weren't organized, um, if we're just random and just kind of, you know, this cell decided to do this and then decide to do that, uh, you'd be dead. Okay, that's called death. Uh, a house. Is your house organized? I'm not talking about the clutter inside your house. I'm talking about the structure of your house. Is it organized? Oh, I've built enough buildings to know what a building requires. I mean, I get out my tape measure and I want it all, I want all those studs exactly 16 inches on center. I want all those trusses exactly 24 inches on center. And, and I don't tolerate this. No good builder would. We realize the necessity of structure, of organization there. That there's a foundation, you don't build the roof first and then uh, try to build underneath it. You start with the foundation, you put up the structure, you put the roof on, you put the outer, you put the inner things. You know it's important and critical. Uh, how about an army? Is an army structured? Oh yes, so that's another uh, biblical analogy for the church. A city. Is your, uh, our city doesn't seem very organized very much. You drive on one street and it's named three things when you go four miles. Um, it's weird. This is the weirdest city I've ever, I think I've ever lived in. Uh, but there is actually city engineers. They design them. Uh, they have strange concepts. And a plant. Is a plant organized? Yes. And so being an organism, a living, breathing thing, does not disconnect you from being organized. In fact, it necessitates it. You have to be organized to be alive. And if you want to be a living organism, you need structure. So let's talk about the structure of the church. We already talked about Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. Uh, we have a membership. And let's go to Acts chapter 2. A lot of people take issue with membership. Why do I have to join the church to do anything in the church? Uh, I don't find that in the Bible. And I, you can see a whole list of verses there. <laughs> and then it says see below at the end because I got more verses. Uh, but let's just go to Acts chapter 2. Um, I'm looking out here, I think all of you are members, so you guys are all bought into the system, suckers, right? No, you're followers of the truth. Here we go. Why do we have a membership? Look at chapter 2, verse 41. This is the birthday of the church, Pentecost, and uh, we have the preaching of Peter, and look at verse 41. It says, those who gladly received his name were baptized... That's exciting. They got saved and they got baptized. What a day. Isn't that enough, Pastor? No, because the verse isn't done. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added. Added to what? Ah, who's keeping track? Somebody was keeping track. Let's jump forward and see what the what is, verse 47. It didn't tell us in that verse. You see the italics to them is, is added to help bring clarity to the verse. But verse 47 is the one that tells us, They are praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You were being added to the church. Somebody was keeping records. Somebody knew who was in the church and who wasn't in the church. Fundamentally, that's all membership is. It's knowing who, is one, who are one of us and who are not one of us. Who are part of our body and who is not part of our body. And this is true in these other passages as well. Let's jump to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians has a huge amount of information on how we do church. Um, great study whenever we're trying to figure those things out. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're going to be at. And remember that one of the... Things in Corinthians was, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Jesus, and they are schisms in the church over who they were. So it was 
uh, kind of interesting for it to be addressed by Paul. Oh, I'm in chapter 6. No wonder it didn't make sense. It's like, why would I put that verse in? Uh, <laughs> now you want to go to 613 and say, what does this say? All right, so 5.13 says, But those who are outside, God judges. Uh, therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. You cannot do church discipline, which we're going to study later, unless there is a group that we identify as inside. There is an inside and outside. Of what? Of the church. Those who are outside the church, God judges. But we are called to hold one another accountable to a series of judgment inside the church, which requires us to know who is inside the church. Who are we? What, do we, what are we comprised? Who are we comprised of? What is our local assembly? And we should be able, to, and so that requires us to uh, know. We, we need to know who that is. And we see some of their pastors there as well. And so we have a membership. So Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. And then we have a membership. All right? And so every member, a minister, some will say. And then we have leadership in the structure. And leadership is drawn from the membership. So we don't hire outside people to be the leaders externally who are not part of the membership. And again, we have plenty of information in God's Word about that. Uh, 1 Timothy uh, is there. Ephesians 4, we talked about under the spiritual gifts, about prophets, pastors, teachers, and all that. Let's go to Titus chapter 1. Let's use that text. Um, it's a little more succinct in Titus than in Timothy, where he just goes through it very systematically about who you're ministering to and who's who in the church. Let's pick up in verse 5. Look at Paul's expectation of Titus. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, holy, self-controlled, there you go, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Okay, and so... And then we find in verse 10, there are many insubordinate. Okay, well, and it goes through that. And so we have many insubordinate. So Paul says, I left you in Crete to put things in order. And here's what it means to have an orderly church. It means that you have leadership. We're going to establish uh, in, in point elders. And we're going to talk about the word appoint here in a little bit, which is a synonym for, uh, it's used interchangeably with bishop, which means overseer. And so we have these people, and their job is to communicate God's word, and, and we have a list of expectations, and we also know what they're there for. They're there to exhort and to convict those who contradict. They're there to exhort the believers. That exhortation is to draw you to obedience. It includes sometimes saying, why are you being disobedient? And it also includes just challenging you to further obedience. Sometimes by educating you, getting you out of it. Did God want me to do that? Yes. And challenging you to take it on more seriously. And, but the other part, is, notice, is to convict those who contradict, which are the insubordinate. So there's always going to be in churches those people are mumble, 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 complain, complain, complain. And are going to question and challenge everything. And, I, and you know, you, I think you guys know me. I know that everyone here knows me. I don't know about everybody on the podcast. But... You know me. I, don't, I do not try to tell people you can't question anything we do. I, I invite you to question it because I don't do things without thinking about them and having a pretty solid understanding about not only what we do but why we do it. And I am more than happy to engage people with, but you better bring your Bible, number one. You would better bring your Bible because I'll bring mine. And you had better have a host of verses not taken out of context to, to uh, think that somehow... And we've dealt with insubordination in our church. 
that we have the leadership say, here's what we need to do, uh, particularly within, in one context within a church discipline se section, and within 48 hours, these individuals just totally disregarded everything the leadership laid out and said, this is what we have determined, and within 48 hours, it's just totally disregarded. That's insubordination. Now, do I have the authority to dictate your life? No, but I do have responsibility before God to be an under-shepherd of the flock, which means I have to deal with those who contradict leadership, that are insubordinate. And we're going to talk about church discipline. That's coming up probably next week, because I took so much time on that one point. Okay? And so that is leadership. Leaders lead. It's what they do. Don't call them leaders and then ignore them, and don't expect them to take that mantle, and, and they're accountable to God, that's a scary thing, that God holds me accountable for every word I teach and every word that our, that our um, science school teachers teach, every word that our word life coaches give in devotions, you have to answer to God for that, not me. Um, but I'll, I'll help you. I'll, I'll, if I hear something that's a little error or a little, eh, I'll probably come and talk to you. Bill and I have great conversations sometimes. Sometimes because he comes and asks me, sometimes because I come and say, eh. <laughs> And we need to do that. And sometimes after the service, he comes up with his Bible open, and I always know I'm in trouble. What about this? Or you skip this phrase. I'm getting to it. Uh, but uh, that's iron sharpening iron. Right? But leadership has to lead. And requires, I can lead and lead and lead if nobody follows. It's failure. So either we have failure of leadership that leads in the wrong direction, or we have failure of membership that won't follow that. And so here in Titus, Paul warns them, you're going to have to deal with a lot of insubordination on that island of Crete. So be prepared and prepare your eldership for that. Okay? So here's the structure. We see that structure uh, borne out in the way it talks about the church uh, and in each city. And notice that it's in each city their church needs elders. So the idea that somehow he's talking about the universal church, the Catholic church and all these things is not true. He's talking about in each city, the church of this city, the church in that city. And so we know he's talking about the local church, not the universal church. Any questions, comments on that? I'm going to keep moving. Letter E, the ordinances. This is another provision that God has given us, uh, and we don't often view it as such, but uh, they have a direct and important role in fulfilling the purposes of the local church. We're going to study them individually, so I'm not going to go into them. So let's talk about membership very quickly. Let's get into that category. We're going to be studying the ordinances. Is it after or before? It's after church discipline, so it'll be two or three weeks from now. All right, so the basics. If you have any questions about this, just tell me. Um, it is voluntary. <laughs> um, no one is going to say, you know, do this or else. Um, it is a witness. By being a member of the church is a witness. You are making that commitment and you're telling others, this is what I approve of. This is what I am a part of to others. It is a voice. And we're going to look at lots of times in the Bible where the church voted. Um, and very interesting when that happens in God's word. Uh, so it's a voice. If I know that you're of our number um, and you've made a commitment, and by the way, it is a commitment, letter F. It probably should be really up farther. Uh, it is a commitment, so we know you're committed. That this is your church. It is an official union. It is saying you can count on me, which means that I will not, I will recognize the leadership, I will participate. I will be relied upon. I can minister here. Uh, you can rebuke, correct, instruct me in righteousness. Um, I am open to all of that. It is an agreement, a union agreement. So it is that we are this church. This is us. Okay? And so that's the basics of what membership means to us. Uh, it's not just a big deal. We're trying to get our numbers up. I really prefer not to have uh, that kind of thing. And so if you die, if you disappear... We have provisions in our Constitution to extract you from the membership pretty quickly compared to other churches. Yes, other churches have lots of dead people on their memberships, 
Lots of people that I've never seen for years and years on our membership still, and we don't do that. Okay, so let's go to number two, requirements. What do you have to do to be a member of a church? Well, you have to be a Christian. Um, we have to be one positionally. We all need to be. So all those who believe, we read Acts 2.41 already, um, were added to the number. So you believed and were baptized, you were added to the number. So you had to be a believer. Uh, so we all, and here's the gospel message, we all come to Christ the same way as sinners. We're all saved by the same method, that is by grace through faith. We're all saved by the same means. You confess your sin, and he's faithful just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Uh, and we come to, him, to Christ, we're all placed in the body of Christ the same way. We're all uh, members of Christ individually, and then as a body, we all have the same life. And so all of that is what we share. If we don't share that, we are not going to have harmony in our church. And too many churches have, are broken apart and don't have harmony um, because they have so anxious to get more people and membership, they don't filter on this one area sufficiently. So when you come to our, you know, our church membership, all of you are members here except for the children, uh, you know what it takes to be a member of church. You got to come, you have to write down your testimony on a sheet of paper. Write it down. I have every one of your applications for membership. I still have your testimony in writing. I hope it's not stagnant. That is, I hope your testimony has improved since then, has expanded. Because your testimony is really, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. It wasn't just when I came to Christ, it is every day I'm living for Christ. And so we require this of you. And then we ask, and of course, letter B is believer's baptism by immersion. And again, this is a requirement uh, that is evident in God's word throughout. It was... Uh, we have a little bit of an issue. We're going to talk about that when we get to baptism because we don't do it quite the same way they did in the Bible because of the confusion that has been brought about regarding the term of baptism. And then letter C is also very important. We need unity in doctrine and practice. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. We'll, we'll develop that here in uh, the next section, what that means. So to be, so what we ask you to sign is, do you, uh, we won't ask you if you hold to every, every doctrine and practice of our church. We ask you, are you, uh, do you, are you opposed to it? So we're not asking you, is this the way you would run your church? We're not saying, do you say 100% wholeheartedly that you're behind everything? We don't really ask that of people because, um, I don't see that that's unity. Uh, I'm asking you, are you opposed to anything in, this, in the Constitution of our church, in our doctrinal statement? And if you come and you say, I'm not opposed to it, I might not see eye to eye with you on this or that. I'm like, okay, but as long as you're not opposed to it, which means that you're not going to voice opposition against it, you're not going to minister against that Constitution, that statement of faith, you're going to subordinate yourself to it. Then we'll have you a membership. That's unity. All right, we're going to talk about different words here very shortly. Yes. Right. Yeah, so when we talk about ecclesiastical separation, we, what we require of the membership is what we require of our external relationships. So our missionary families. Okay, we have pastors in India and organizations uh, we pulled out of and, and ceased using Awana Club material because we saw what was going on there, and we, it was it, it, it disturbed. It didn't it wasn't in keeping with the spirit of our constitution and, and, and doctrinal statement, and so we pulled away from that. And that's called ecclesiastical separation. That we uh, aren't going to get into ministry with certain groups that their doctrine and practice is not in keeping with ours, uh, and. I was very involved in Awana Clubs International, and I got to the point, I was like, I cannot go into churches and, and help them because of the kinds of churches that we're now open to. I, don't, I wouldn't send my dog to some of those churches. Why would I help them reach children 
to come to their church. Um, and so I couldn't do it. I, I just said, I can't do it. I can't, because that church, I cannot possibly encourage anyone to go to that church. Why would I help them implement a program to draw people into their church? And so my conscience, I could not do that. And our church conscience, uh, if we have this unity in doctrine and practice, uh, should not be compromised in our relationship with other individual ministries outside our church and organizations, including other churches. That's why the international partnership um, is so important in the GARBC, is because they all have to adhere to a doctrinal and practice standard that they impose upon each other. And, uh, and it's very, it's such a blessing to me to be, say, well, let's just focus our national pastoral ministries on this fellowship because they've all already done that work. And I know the doctrinal position of that, oh, I just broke that, of that uh, organization. And every partner has, has ascribed to that. Are they implementing it perfectly? Well, I, I can't measure that, but, uh, but they have at least said they will. And that's good. Let's go to three, because this is going to bring us to um, the idea of what unity is. We are to minister to one another. And Ephesians 4 says, till we reach unity of, the, of our knowledge of Christ and of faith. So we want to have unity. Uh, what is unity? Love and unity. Uh, and and it's not, unity, let's talk about what unity is not. That's the last letter B under number one. We want practical unity. Unity is not unanimity. Unanimity is that we all agree 100% on everything. That's, that's one opinion, that we have absolute agreement of opinion. That's unanimity. That is not what we are after here. You don't all have to agree with me on everything. It would be nice. Your life would be easier. <laughs> but no. Um, it's just not required for unity, right? And, and unity is much bigger than that. Uh, it is not uniformity. Uniformity is external regiment to appear identical. So what is a uniform? You put this on your outside so that you all look identical. And it's kind of interesting when you go into some, uh, especially communist countries and and you look at how they parade and all the work they do to parade a certain way. And, and I watch those YouTube videos because I'm fascinated by the discipline they have. I'm not thrilled by the company, by the countries, but uh, their discipline is extraordinary. When you look at North Korea parade discipline, and uh, they get to parade down, you know, they have big squares to parade in in China and Russia, and their parade discipline is extraordinary. And everyone is lined up to exactly the same height. And they practice to be all uniform. Unity is not uniformity. That we all look alike, act alike, and that we're all these little robots, these little soldiers. That is not what we're after either. We want, we want diversity with harmony. Unity is about harmony. And this is the idea of a body. This... My finger does not look like this, my nose. Does it? They don't look alike. Even, even Josh, man. Even Josh knows that the finger does not look like the nose. They have different function, but they're all part of the same body, my body. And my ear does not look like my knee. They don't even have the same function, but they're all one body. There is a unity that we're after. And so, and of course, everything these days is about diversity. And so we talk about the, the, the church wanting to have unity as a practical unity. We all have the same purpose. That's why the study on the purposes last week was so important, that we're all striving for that. We're all striving to grow in Christ, to be more godly, to, to uh, be evangelistic, to uh, represent Christ. We're all striving to do that. We do it in different ways according to our gifts. We do it according to our concepts and our philosophies. But we should have a practical unity. So I can, I can rejoice in a video from Kenya 
and them singing to the Lord, or video from India, them singing to the Lord, I can rejoice even though I don't enjoy it. I don't really like that music sometimes. Okay? And in India, it's like, oh, this, is this even music? Sometimes I wonder. And, and, but then I wonder, maybe they think that of our music. <laughs> maybe go, what is their problem? Why do they make those noise? Yeah, I don't know. But, um, but I can rejoice that they are worshiping the Lord. And when I'm in, in uh, Haiti and, and these are going on, and I'm like, I don't get that, but that's there. They are singing to the Lord. And, and I can celebrate that without being of equal agreement with it. I don't have to think that that is great and the best. Um, I, can, I can fellowship with that because I can be unified without having unanimity or uniformity. Uh, but there should be a standard, and the standard is the, is the Bible. We still have a standard. And so we expect you to be unified as a church. We expect you to have brotherly love for one another, which means that you are willing to sacrifice for others. Brotherly love is about sacrifice. The greatest measure of love is sacrifice. Are you willing to sacrifice? And my, and th- this is a great time to prove that. You know, oh, I sacrifice one day a week. Well, that's not much of a sacrifice. It's really not the whole day even. It's a few hours. I sacrifice my sleep for this, and as I get up early when I don't have to. Um, well, that's not much either. We haven't really talked about sacrifice yet. You're just talking about inconveniences. What about when it might cost you your job to go to church? What if it might cost you your liberty to go to church, to gather as a church? Because there are churches meeting today throughout the earth that are making those kinds of commitments with those kinds of risks. And so we want harmony and brotherly love, that we hold one another accountable according to the scriptures. We expect you to attend faithfully. We already read Hebrews 10.25. We expect cooperation and appreciation of one another. And again, the negative example was in Titus there that there are the insubordinate and uh, there are lots of other texts like that, mostly at the end of books. That was kind of interesting because at the beginning. Philippians starts out as wonderful a book as Philippians is. The front end of it says, hey, some people are ministering against me, but they're but I'm not going to hold against them because they are still for Christ. Um, they want to uh, have boldness by my chains. And then 1 Corinthians 12, of course, is about understanding that we're each part of the body of Christ. And we're going to talk, we already talked about the study on gifts, about your acts of service. You should be serving one another. You should be exercising your spiritual gifts in the context of a local church, which means you, have, you should be giving something. I'm still trying to figure out how Justin's going to do that from Florida. Okay, but he needs to. I don't know what that is, but he needs to. Or he needs to get somewhere where he can. Um, and so this is the requirement. This is what we expect from our members, that you not just uh, be here, but you primarily that you come with a loving heart and spirit toward one another, valuing them more than yourself, esteem others better than yourselves, they deserve my attention. They deserve my time. They deserve my presence. They deserve my spiritual gifts to be exercised on their behalf. Um, they uh, more than deserve that. And so I will spend myself for them. Paul says, I am willing to be spent for Christ. Well, who is that? The church in Thessalonica. I am willing to go out there and be spent for you. I will be used up. I'm glad to be used up for you if necessary. But the wonder about the Holy Spirit's work is the more we expend of ourselves, the more he overflows in your life. And you actually enjoy ministry. Um, one of the other things, so that's ministering one another. We expect you to be involved in selecting church leaders. We're going to talk about that in the organization. And we expect you to obey your church leaders. That's direct command in, in Hebrews 13. Obey those that have rule over you. Um, make their ministry easier by not being insubordinate. Just obey them. 
They're, doing it, they're not doing it for their own. Uh, if they're a good pastor, they're not doing it for their own enjoyment. Uh, they're doing it for your benefit. They're like a parent. They're giving you these guidelines to live by because they care about you and want you to have a fulfilled Christian life. And so um, submit to them. Obey them. And that is part of church membership. Well, we've gone late again. We will get on to page 25, church leadership and organization and church discipline. We will, this this will kind of be a review for us, the chart next week, and then we'll get into church discipline next week, which is a very confusing area because a lot of churches have abandoned it, and we have not, and that's kind of upset some people, and um, we're going to address that a little bit because it, it needs to be well taught to be well practiced. Any questions, comments? All right, let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this opportunity to study uh, your church. It's not our church, it's yours. And we thank you for this local church that you have established here. And Lord, we recognize our dependency is really on you, not on one pastor or one uh, person or group of people. But uh, we also recognize that every local church is really just one generation from being gone. And so we pray that as we are dependent upon you, that we might take up this responsibility to be unified in our purpose, to commit ourselves one to another and to you, to be dedicated to uh, seeing your word proclaimed, through this local assembly, to this community, and beyond through our missions endeavors. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. We pray that we might be faithful to you. We know that that involves being faithful to your people. Lord, help us to truly value this and grow and mature to value every opportunity we have to gather together with your people. In Christ Jesus' name. Amen.